One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to Raptors Over Everything, a podcast for Yahoo Sports Canada. I'm your host, William Liu. Joining me on the podcast is the second half of the Light Years podcast, Sam Esfandieri. Sam. How's it going, man? Uh, I, you, you, you didn't, um, Andy didn't scare you away. You wanted to get the other half on? No, listen, Andy said Warriors in five, so that's already not happening. Now, granted, that was uh, injuries prevented that from happening, um, but... Uh, but yeah, I mean, it seemed like see the reason I wanted to get both of you on was because I thought you were more measured about the Raptors. I think you respected the threat a little bit more. Um, wh- through three games, sort of just obviously injuries have you know cast a big shadow over the whole series, and we'll get to that. But you know, what's been your impression on the Raptors? Have they sort of lived up to expectation in your mind? Yeah, definitely. I mean, even if the Warriors were healthy, I would have still said Warriors in six because I thought the Raptors. Raptors were at least good enough to win two games. Um, and that's before we get into um, Kevin Durant's injury, Clay Thompson's injury, Kayvon Looney's injury. Now I just pretty much when it went one, one in Toronto, I'm like, this is going seven at best for warrior fans. And now I'm kind of wondering what state they're going to be in every game going forward. Yeah. And look, listen, that sucks, man. Um, like just having an asterisk over the whole thing. I mean, you know, that as a Warriors fan, People yeah, I, I to refuse to. <laughs> I refuse to give anyone an asterisk because I think that's BS. Like, it is what it is. Um, you know, from from a warrior perspective, it, like if they lose, I'm not going to be anywhere near as upset as if they lost full strength. But if the Raptors win, I mean, it's pretty clear Kawhi's injured as well. Obviously, he's playing hurt. But end of the day, if they win, if they win the whole thing, they win the whole thing. They don't get an asterisk, in my opinion. Exactly. Um, having said that, though, having just come back from practice, Steve Kerr kind of, I didn't, wouldn't say surprise everybody, but he just set out the jump. He was like, KD's out for game four. Um, yeah, he mentioned that there's a couple more, there's one last hurdle for KD to clear, which I think was, I, I guess, new information. I'm not sure why he said that, but um, I mean, first off, it's surprising to me that he wouldn't wait, at least in terms of the gamesmanship, to wait until the last second, like sort of with Clay. Where yesterday, you know, right down to the wire, 15 minutes before the game, that's when we finally knew that Clay was out, and um, you know, Kerr just kind of jumped ahead and was like, "Yeah, KD, he's he's out. He still hasn't practiced yet with the team." Um, are, are you bracing for the chance that he doesn't come back? And if that if that's the case, then sort of how do you look at the series? Yeah. So before the series started, I was kind of shooting for game three to game four as when he'd be back. Uh, when we got that report from Chris Haynes, I said. In my mind, I was like, okay, game four is going to be the game. Um, and I was shocked Chris said that today. Uh, there's no other way around it. And in my mind, it can only mean um, it, it can only mean like two things. And one is uh, maybe KD's feeling the pressure and he just kind of wants to, you know, just kind of lay off of it. Because in my mind, that what you said makes the most sense. Just say he has to go through another reevaluation tomorrow and I'll have more for you pregame, right? Yep. Um, so it's saying this kind of takes the pressure off KD. You don't know how bad it is 
or what's going on there. You don't know if that's affecting him. The other part I think might be just for his own team. I think he kind of wants him to play with more urgency. So kind of just laying it out there. We're not having KD next game. Might get Clay, Steph, Draymond. Draymond would be the big one in my opinion. Um, Iguodala and everyone else to kind of lock in so they know like, hey man, he's not playing tomorrow. We can't just assume he's coming back and everything's going to be good. We have to win one more because we can't go to Toronto down 3-1 with you know, the possibility he still can't play, etc. So that's the only thing I could think of. Uh, but yeah, I was caught off guard too. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, look, with, without KD, like, how do you assess the offense? Because uh, the way I looked at it was, I, I, frankly, I was even amazed that the Warriors were even in the game, um, game three last night, just because it was so clear that Steph was the only guy going. Like, DeMarcus is another guy who could get going and you know, um, it just it just seems right now that he's really up and down since coming back from injury. But like, it just seemed like there was only one guy, and you know, the Raptors will eventually be able to stop one guy. And it kind of just speaks to Steph's greatness the fact that like the offense is still producing at a pretty good clip. Like, I couldn't believe you guys got to 109 points last night. I just based on the actual functioning talent on the floor, not necessarily on paper talent, but just in strictly functioning, right? Like. That's 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 an incredible number because the Raptors are a really good defense, but they have they have literally no idea what to do with Steph. It really is sad. It is kind of funny. They've scored 109 in every game. Mm-hmm. It'd be nice if they just scored 109 the whole way through. We can just say that's what they are. But um, uh, my whole thing with the op is the defense. Um, obviously, losing Clay and Looney. Uh, we haven't seen Katie this series, so that just goes without saying. Um, but without KD they need to be an elite defense and they were able to do it versus Portland they were able to do it versus Houston in that game six and in game two which they won against Toronto I mean I'd put that as much on they played a half of great defense the second half more than the offense um so that's kind of where I'm looking at it I mean if they're gonna get back into this series it's gonna start with the defense um, the offense just kind of is what it is. Um, it's a lot of depending on, you know, Steph's creative brilliance and Clay's movement. Uh, everyone else on the team is kind of a role player who's passed first. I mean, you see it like Iguodala, Draymond, all those guys, they don't want to shoot the ball. They will shoot it, but their first instinct is to move it to a better shooter. Um, and so the Warriors are stuck playing a lot of these, you know, lineups where three guys don't want to shoot the ball. Yeah, that's true, and and you could see it like the, like what's actually really impressed me too is like not just that like Steph is, um you know a like him only being the only threat last night, but it's like the rest of the guys like yes they don't really necessarily take the shots, but when you see in those four on three situations where the Raptors either it's on or off the ball where two guys go to Steph like they are so quick in terms of just like how um they find like the outlet in and Draymond and all of a sudden it's a it, it's a three on two at the rim or something like that and they always like just seem to be able to solve the Raptors defensively and it's like like I've seen the Raptors you know um basically flummox teams like the Bucks and like the, the Sixers and obviously Bucks and Sixers are not the same class of the Warriors but just like the Raptors have consistently throughout the playoffs been able to out execute and out rotate and, and their help defense is great but like the, the Warriors timing with everything else has just been you know, like, yeah, it's one thing where, you know, if Steph draws two guys, it's like, you know, th- there is an advantage. But not every team's able to capitalize off of that. And it's just like this sort of industry knowledge with guys like, you know, Bogut even. And, and Draymond, Iguodala, Sean Livingston's even had a couple of lobs where it's just they're they're so good at cutting. And I, and I 
And I kind of contrast that to how, you know, I think the Warriors are kind of doing a similar thing to, you know, Kawhi. Obviously, it's not the same amount of pressure, but there's usually two guys on Kawhi. But the Raptors just aren't able to capitalize on the same rate on those little four and three situations, three on two situations. And I, I just, you know, it's just crazy. Yeah, I, I feel like this Warriors team has kind of transitioned from kind of the new up and comers. Um, that kind of changed the game and the way we think about it in like 2015 around that period to kind of being the sage veteran team. Like mm-hmm. they've, they've kind of transitioned to being the Spurs in many ways. Yeah. Um, they may not, they may have issues hitting shots, but uh, they're generally the smarter team. Um, well, th- they are the smarter team. They have the IQ advantage and then they have so much continuity like Steph, Iguodala, Draymond, Clay. Those guys have played how many games together over the last six, seven years? I mean, they know exactly where each other is going to be. So even if we have these issues where it's like, you know, if Steph and Clay aren't shooting, who, you know, who is going to score the ball? They just know how to cut and move off each other. Draymond and Steph have pretty much perfected their pick and roll. You know, they they know exactly where the other one's going to pass the ball or move to based on how the defense guards it. They don't even say anything to each other. Clay knows exactly how to move around them. Iguodala goes without saying. So there is there's a level of just kind of like, I mean, we don't think of them as an old, experienced team, but I don't think there's any group in the NBA who's played more games together than them. Yeah, that, that's a good point. That's, that's really true. Um, and you even look at a guy like Bogut, right? Like, you know, Cousins comes back in and, like, I don't know. I mean, I have no idea what Cousins is going to do on a day-to-day basis. On a possession-by-possession right. <laughs> possession basis, I have no idea where he's going to be offensively, defensively. He kind of just – he's kind of just figuring it out, going through the motions. And then, like, you know, when Boga comes in, like, it's not like Bogut's spectacular. Obviously, talent-wise, DeMarcus trumps, you know, um, yes. you know Bogut. You know, yeah. But, I mean, like, seriously, like, it's just Bogut knows what to do, and it goes back to that continuity. But at the center position right now, that's where I feel like the Warriors, I mean, ironically, it's just always that center position that's sort of giving you guys trouble. And um, I think you guys came into the series with a whole bunch of options at center. But right now, it just looks like no matter who Steve Kerr is putting out at five, uh, it's just not working. There's always some sort of limitation um, with the exception of what you know DeMarcus said in game two, which honestly looks like a little bit of an aberration. Yeah, I mean, they need more from DeMarcus because they're starved for offense. But the best case scenario, in my opinion, for him is he kind of holds the offense together in the minutes Steph sits at the beginning of the second and the fourth and maybe plays a few minutes with the starters. Like in a best case scenario, he plays 20 minutes and, you know, maybe gives you 10 to 12 points, get some key baskets on Steph's out of there. Um, And that's about it uh, because he's too much of a defensive liability. Now they're in a situation where they can't use either of their best centers. Like, if you told me before the series, fully healthy roster, the Warriors' rotation would be something like Boogie playing 15 to 20 minutes, primarily against backups. Mm -hmm. Um, Looney getting the majority of the minutes because he's the best defender of the bunch and because he's reliable to not make mistakes. And when you have all the offensive talent the Warriors have uh, when they're fully healthy – kind of the low usage guy who plays defense makes more sense anyway. And then obviously Draymond at center. Now they can't go to Draymond at center because KD is not out there. So they have no big wing to put a power forward. Mm -hmm. Like the, the, a lot of people have been asking, why don't they use Draymond at center? And I'm like, it's pretty clear. What's your, what's your lineup? Are you putting McKinney at power forward? You can put McKinney on like Siakam or something. Um, They don't have the wings, you know, uh, Iguodala 
can play one of the roles. You can't play all three wing roles. So um, they're, they're just a little hurt there. That would have been kind of what they go to. And then Bogut would have been emergency center situation stuff. Now it's like, I mean, they need probably 25 minutes from Boogie and they need to live with the fact that his defense isn't good and just hope that he provides more his offense is more impactful than his defense is negative, kind of like it was in game one or sorry, game two. Um, and you know, Bogut's given them solid minutes, but I've been surprised by how, how good Boga has been in the series. Yeah, it's a good matchup for him. Um, in the sense of like Marcus all isn't particularly more athletic than him. No. He is a better player than him, but, uh, Bogut has a real issue with like the, um, Clint Capella, like someone who could dive to the rim hard. Um, and that's not going to be Marcus all. So he can give you some minutes there, but even then you saw him, you know, uh, they'd run Kawhi in a pick and roll at him or Lowry. I mean, he's not going to get out onto those guys. He's going to drop back and they'll hit those shots. Yeah. And, and that was the main adjustment that, you know, I thought Bogut actually had a really good second quarter yesterday defensively. I think that was the only time throughout the game where the Raptors offensively, they weren't producing, especially in the second half of um, the second quarter there. And a lot of that was Bogut just being a presence at the rim. I was actually kind of also really surprised that like Bogut and Draymond coming out above the three point arc to trap Kawhi and how effective that was. Kawhi seemed like he just didn't really know when to give up the ball and he, he tossed up a couple of bad shots, but like, you know, I thought Nurse made a good adjustment in the second half. Um, I think Fred starting had more to do with defensively just against Steph than anything else. Also, Danny had three fouls, so you can't really expect him to guard Steph perfectly if he has three fouls to start the half. But, um, right. I and mean, then you have the other end of it where you're not worried about being punished by having two small guards. If Clay true. was in that's the true. game, um, Lowry or someone has to guard Clay, right? Or it, it leads to some sort of Lowry Van Vliet on a six foot seven guy type of matchup. Yeah, not and, really. And we saw the start of the, the game too, like just how easily Clay can rise up and shoot over those guys. Exactly, um, and you know the the thing with Draymond, I didn't think Draymond was good in Game Three. Um, okay, but he tends to bounce back when he has one of those bad defensive games. Um, the offense will be a mixed bag in terms of the scoring, but he rarely has two bad defensive games in a row. I thought the Raptors, every time he kind of came out and switched, um, it ended up being a problem for the Warriors because they didn't have his help defense behind him. Mm-hmm. He can do that switching when he has Looney or KD and Iguodala behind him because they're smart defenders. But when he's switching out onto a guy and it's Jarebko and McKinney behind him, I mean, it's... Yes, Kawhi made a couple bad passes, but in general, if he just gets it out of there, I don't know how Draymond can rotate back in time. And then you just got this situation where, I mean, Jarebko and McKinney probably shouldn't be playing this many minutes in a final, but it is what it is, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it honestly, I mean, look, no, nobody on the timeline is crying for the Warriors, you know, obviously, right. but like at the same time, you guys are like, it is kind of funny to me, like halfway through game two, I'm like, why is it it's like our legitimately a third of the minutes being played are by G leaguers. And I'm just like, it's not even an insult to McKinney. I think his like, you know, he's, he's had some good moments for you guys throughout the playoffs. I mean, I think Quinn cook is, I mean, he's actually taken me by surprise about just how big, uh, uh how, how much his confidence has sort of grown in this series against right. the, the, the Raptors. But like these guys are, you know, frankly G league kind of caliber players. And like, there's always some sort of liability on the floor for the Raptors to attack. And I feel like, you know, yeah, I I, I mean, agree that Draymond could have been better, but like I think a lot of that was also just like 
offensively. It was such a difficult time for the Warriors to generate offense outside of Steph that, like, you know, it just it leads to a lot of bad shots, leads to a lot of late shots, and the Raptors just getting a lot of stuff off like, in transition where it's not there's not even a chance for Draymond to even be in the play, you know? Right, and that was a big thing. When they were playing these lineups with two to three defensive liabilities, the Raptors can just kind of go away from the side of the floor Draymond's on. And it it's not that he played he plays bad defense, he's just rendered out of the play. And I don't really know what you do with that. Um, I, I think Clay helps that because when you have Clay, Iguodala, and Draymond, th- those are three kind of high, really high level defenders, right? And Steph's smart. Steph rarely gets out of position. He kind of he can hold his own yeah. to a certain point. Not you know, not when Kawhi's posting him or something like that, but he can hold his own relative to point guards. Um, I, I just don't know how they can go to the bench after those four is really what it comes down to. Yeah, for sure. And listen, Clay coming back for Game Four is going to help. Just because, I mean, there were times yesterday it was like, oh, Quinn Cook has to be in the game for his offense. And at that point, it was just like, what are you doing? Like, it's not a surprise that Kyle, you know, and even Fred had a lot of open looks. It's just like, Quinn Cook just defensively is just not, not it, really. But um, Clay coming right, back. Right, it's really, it's really rare that uh, there's a opposing shooting guard who's smaller than Van Vliet. But, but <laughs> the Warriors true. figured out a way to do it, right? That's true. Listen, I was watching him play in like G League Showcase in Mississauga, and I was like, "This Quinn Cook guy's not bad." But then he was also getting cooked by Lorenzo Brown for the Raptors, who was like the fourth string point guard last year. So I'm like, "This is, you know, he can only do so much." But and I think he's gotten better. But realistically, Quinn yeah, Cook is Quinn and Cook. it's like I will note the Warriors maybe used Quinn Cook and Steph together four to five minutes all year oh, man. against like maybe the Suns or something. Like it's not a lineup they go to when you look at the Warriors' fully healthy rotation. It's, I mean, they do have a lot of six, seven guys. So it'll always be, if Quinn's in there, it's subbing in for Steph. They were never playing those two together. It's kind of always been a point of emphasis for them to try to have the longest uh, and biggest lineup on the floor they can, at least on the wings. So while it has been good, um, I think they've played really well together. They played quite frankly, as well as I could expect. Mm-hmm. Um, there are limitations to it. Quinn's pushing six feet tall. Steph, Steph claims he's 6'3". He's probably closer to 6'2". I mean, it is what it is, right? Yeah. Um, so Clay's going to come back for game four. That's, that's obviously going to help a lot offensively. But I also felt like, you know, Clay was just missing a lot defensively as well. Um, it's, it's been weird. I think Iguodala's done a great job guarding um, Kawhi. And Kawhi's still gotten his points, but that's just, you know, he's a great player. That's what happens. But... I think Clay has also done a really, really good job defending Kawhi, and I just feel like you know there were minutes there where I, I just I don't think the Warriors can get very far if Alfonso McKinney even has to guard you know five to seven minutes against Kawhi because he's literally going to score every possession. He's either going to get a foul call or he's just going to get past him for a score. And so, I, I mean, what have you thought about Clay's defense on uh, Kawhi in this series? I mean, yeah, he's the second best option on him. In some situations, he might even be better than Iguodala, but either way, it's those two and then just a massive drop-off. I mean, I guess you could throw Draymond in there too, but you you need Draymond to do like 10 other things. Yeah, Uh, You saw when Draymond was on him, then Siakam got whatever he wanted around the rim. Um, So it it is one of those situations where the drop-off is so big and Clay's such a big part of their defense. Uh, It was kind of... Uh, you know how you see like the metrics that claim like Clay's kind of an average defender and not really that special. And I'm always like, I don't know. I watch every one of their games. I don't know how anyone can walk away thinking this isn't one of the better perimeter defenders in the league. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is watch them play one game without him with McKinney, with Cook, with Livingston even. And it's 
it's just not the same thing. But his PPIM or PIPM or whatever. RPM, yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, no. I mean, Clay's, yeah, Clay's phenomenal. I, I think Clay's going to play tomorrow. Like, I just think that. Um, well, they already announced it. That was kind of, they yeah. announced it at like 8 a.m. this morning. And I'm like, you really couldn't play him for game three, but I get what they were doing there. I think they're so worried about re-aggravation, and they're probably looking at it from the perspective of we need a split realistically, mm-hmm. um, and hopefully we get KD back by game five, although who knows when that will happen. I think they were just taking the longer view, which was you know, if we push Clay through this, he may end up coming up limp in game four or so, and then, it, then it's just over. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So I, I yeah. don't know if this will work out for them, but it does seem like Clay could have played last night. I know he was lobbying hard to play, but the training staff was kind of like give him those two extra days because going – Game three and game four, 48 hours of each other on a guy who has a hamstring issue. Um, they, they just they thought it was too big a risk for a series they think is going to go six or seven. Um, let's talk about some more positive things, uh, at least from your perspective. Last night, was <laughs> that the best you've seen Steph in a playoff setting? Nah. Really? Um, it was fun, but... I mean, he that was that yeah, was forty seven points, and the whole defense was guarding him. Like they didn't play box and one because they got shamed out of it. But like, I mean, they might as well. I mean, for my for my money, I never thought the Warriors were close enough to the Raptors. I felt like every time they got up to seven or eight, yeah. the Raptors hit two to three shots. So it was one of those where they lost by fourteen, and you look at the box where you're like, well, they were they were pretty close. It never felt that close. Um, Yes, Steph was amazing, but I would still put up some of the high-pressure games uh, where it's really back and forth, where he delivers as um, you know far bigger Steph moments. Game 5 against Cleveland in 2015 comes to mind. It's mm-hmm. basically tied going into the fourth quarter, and I think he had 17 points in the fourth or 18, something, something that was borderline NBA record for a fourth quarter in a finals. Um, I would put 
I mean, I'd put game six in Houston where he didn't even score in the first half as a bigger game than this. Right. Um, and that's more about the moment. Like in this one, he, it was just such a depleted squad. It was like, yes, he did show us how amazing he was. But in the context of a competitive game, I didn't see it as that competitive a game. Yeah, that's true. I, I just look at it as like, as a Raptors fan, I'm just thinking, look, the Raptors are a really good defense. They got... You know, like maybe their on-ball defense isn't necessarily that great outside of, uh, you know, um, Fred VanVleet. But like, you know, the Raptors are a pretty good defensive club. They can they got guys they can switch on to Steph. And like, there was even one play where Kawhi switched on to Steph, and Steph yeah, crossed him was... off and got a foul. And I'm like, damn, you know what I mean? Like, it's just it's kind of terrifying when you throw your whole defense, your whole team at a guy, and he, and he still scores. I mean, like for real, like w- the box and one thing, like. It's just first off, it was actually you know in terms of just strategy wise, it worked pretty well for the Raptors. It gave them a chance at least defensively to come back in that game, and they kind of you know they couldn't get over the hump offensively. But like the fact yeah, that like, the Boston I, ones being used in the finals, that's incredible. Right. I don't know if um, the strategy was right when when Clay went went limp, the just overload the attention onto Steph, whether it's through a box and one or traps or however you want to do it, was absolutely the right thing, and it almost worked out for them if Iguodala didn't hit that one huge shot. Mm-hmm. Um, I was kind of actually surprised. I didn't think the Raptors sent that much help at Steph last night. Um, They sent some, but they weren't that physical on him. But maybe that was more the up-and-down nature of it. I feel like times they've had more success with him, they've forced it into half-court situations where he just can't find as much space because when you get like two to three bodies around him in a half-court set, I mean, he is 6'2", 6'3". There's only so much space he can kind of get, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, but but I mean overall, yes. I mean he was amazing, but I'm always going to look at kind of those moments where he delivers in a high pressure situation as being kind of the more important game than this was. I mean this was that the entire team was undermanned, and he just kind he got to have the ball in his hands the whole game if he wanted it, right? Yeah, um, I mean this was like 2016 stuff in. in, in... In a lot of ways, and, and to be obviously an even more extreme version of that because Clay was obviously healthy throughout that series, and also I think you guys had more options off in 2016 in the 73 oh, win season. But like this was in, in terms of just shot hunting and how aggressive Steph was with the offense, it was just it, honestly it was it was very fun to watch. I was just yeah, happy the I mean, Raptors. Did, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say I I disliked it or anything because uh-huh. he did hit about eight absurd shots yeah. over the course of the night. Um, it was always fun, but like I I don't know. They lost the game. It's one of those, like, I'm not into, like, you know, pat on the back because you had a big individual performance and a loss wow. type of type of thing. It's it's a um, it, it's a personal philosophy type of thing. It's more ideological than anything. I can't I can't credit it because I didn't credit it in the past to other players. Yeah, that comes from <laughs> uh, going against LeBron. Like, you yeah, got to be exactly. real brave to uh, take stands against LeBron online, you know? But uh, yeah, that's the kind yeah. of stance that Warriors fans have sort of gotten themselves. In. Well, not even gotten themselves into. It was just obviously you guys were adversaries, and uh, it is it is kind of yeah. funny though to see Steph sort of in that 2015 LeBron Finals mode where it's like the second best option is Timofey Mozgov. Yeah, I mean it was it was uh, I definitely got it online because I posted at one point like Steph has 40 points on. In, probably 21 shots or something at that point and it's like rest of team has 43 points on 30 shots yeah and then then i get the whole lebron mafia coming in letting me know like haha now you know what it feels like and i'm like that's not even what i was saying but yeah you do you yeah no people gotta get the jokes off eventually 
Um, yeah. I, I think so. Okay, so if the if the Warriors take Game Four, is it um, something that changes dramatically on the offensive end for you guys, or it's something defensively that you guys do better? Where you know, what end of the floor are you looking for in terms of just uh, the difference in Game Four? It's got to be defense. Okay. They have to lock in in the way they did in the second half of Game Two. Um, and that'll fuel the transition. Um, Draymond and Iguodala, not the greatest shooters, um, not going to finish over length, which the Raptors have inside. Mm-hmm. That's something yeah. Portland didn't have. I feel like that was that was um, overlooked when the Warriors beat Portland without KD. Everyone's like, look how amazing Draymond looks. I'm like, well, he better be able to beat Enos Cantor and Myers Leonard to the rim. You know, that sort of thing. Like, that's the sort of advantage he doesn't have versus Marcus Gasol. Serge Ibaka, Pascal Siakam, you know, the, those layups he was getting against Portland are contested or blocked now. So yeah. the best thing for the Warriors is, is basically try to get stops and get out in transition because, as you said, they're smarter. They'll make those extra passes, let them get layups, let them get transition threes. It's got to start on the defensive end because they're not going to win a shootout, um, you know, like 125, 130. They're just not going to win that kind of game. Um because of of how limited they are outside of Steph and Clay right now offensively, yeah, for sure. And, and they they need the score. I, I mean, I've basically said it since the beginning of the series. Until KD comes back, they need the score closer to one hundred. Anytime it gets closer to one twenty, it's a Raptors game. It's not even close. I don't think the Warriors have enough offense to play one twenty five, you know, one thirty type basketball. I think they need it to be like one hundred one, one hundred four type of basketball. Yeah, I hear you. And that's funny because, you know, coming into the series, I thought the Raptors would have to kind of grind it out defensively against you guys. But I just think that there's enough mismatches for the Raptors to go at uh, against the Warriors. And obviously there's a couple guys in the rotation that just shouldn't be seeing minutes. In it. It's just even in a playoff setting, let alone a final setting. But Right. Um, I mean – Now, if KD, if KD comes back um, in game five um, – and let's assume it's tied, I would probably flip it. I would probably say you're right. Mm-hmm. The Raptors are going to be better suited pushing a half-court game, particularly with the integration of KD back in, because um, while they know how to play to each other, there's still the aspect of getting your timing right. Yeah, you know? for Just, sure. So if the Raptor, if, if KD does come back, the Raptors have every incentive to kind of try to slow it down and really kind of hit people in half court and kind of really muck up the Warriors rhythm. Cause they're going to have a hard enough time finding their rhythm and getting their timing back without them doing that. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, as it's constructed right now, the Raptors are having a ton, a ton of issues, even just limiting Steph Curry. Um, and that's, you know, as a Raptors fan, that's what worries me the most is that I think you guys have a better handle on how to guard Kawhi and limit Kawhi, or at least contain Kawhi, as compared to the Raptors' idea of how to contain Steph. I don't think I've seen sort of effective defense against Steph throughout the thing. It's either you're taking away Steph's points, but he's getting a lot of, you know, assists and secondary assists. Um but on the other side, I think, you know, Draymond and Iguodala have done such a good job. And Clay as well. But, like, the three of them have done such a good job defensively against Kawhi that even though Kawhi's going to get 30, the impact doesn't necessarily extend that much beyond his own individual scoring, you know? Yeah, and I want to ask you, I mean, you've watched him all year. How banged up does he look to you? Because to me, he looks banged up. He's He's very much pacing his body and kind of using his strength to get to the free throw line or take – catch and shoot shots but he's not like really blowing by people the way he would when he's in his peak physical shape um you know what it's, it's funny he's kind of looked like this throughout the entire playoffs basically so you know he's had that quad thing that he's right. uh, it's sort of been an ongoing issue for him 
But then I think um, on one of those poster dunks, I forget which on, which one it was on Embiid because there was actually you know just a lot of dunks on Embiid. But like, um, yeah, I mean he sort of you know got banged up there, and he just hasn't necessarily had the same burst. But I mean, I don't know. It, it's sort of he kind of played through the entire Buck series like that, and it's just he's honestly like you mentioned his elite strength is really his I mean his elite athletic you know prowess isn't necessarily the jumping or the quickness or anything it's the strength he's so strong there's like there's like plays where I mean, Giannis would try to go to the broke. rim with he... two hands on the ball and he would just with one hand hold him down you know what I mean like that's the kind of strength we're talking about so I mean he's, I mean, he's the, clearly the able to play hurt. He, the play in which he injured Looney and it wasn't a it was just a normal basketball play I mean he just pushed Looney like four feet into the air like just driving into him and it was just like a standard drive he just yeah. got his shoulder into him so it's just kind of like I think I kind of underrated how strong Kawhi was like I knew he was strong but mm-hmm. I didn't realize he was like basically behind LeBron maybe the second strongest you know wing player in the NBA which is probably what he is at this point like I didn't realize he was that much stronger than like Harden or something like that so and that's kind of the impression I'm getting because the minute he gets his shoulder into anyone he can rise up and draw the foul at any time yeah yeah and it's Um, it's it's been really impressive to watch Um, one thing I've wanted to see I I don't know how you guys feel because they've been trapping Kawhi Um, I kind of think that's the wrong strategy I kind of think they should just let Kawhi go one-on-one let him get 50 no I mean he will get 50 if you got him one-on-one that's the thing he's he's so good at getting to his spots and then he's right. so automatic when he gets those spots. But I, but I, but my thing, like, Danny Green can't hit six threes. How many did Lowry have? Did he have five or six five. yesterday? Five. That's that, that was a bit fluky. Right he's not going to have five every time. No, but those were so open. And some of that was, a lot of that was the Warriors personnel. But a lot of that this series has been overplaying Kawhi. I'd almost rather take away, try to take away everything else from the Raptors. Um, you know, kind of make Lowry inefficient, make Danny Green just kind of a guy, then, um, you know, worry about limiting Kawhi. Because Kawhi had 30. He's kind of had quiet 30 in all these games yeah. just because of the way they've guarded him. And it's been impressive. But, like, what gave him the win yesterday was everyone else hitting their shots. I mean, how many guys? Every starter have over 17? Every starter had right? 17, which is crazy. And Fred had 11 off the bench and hit the crazy shot at the end, too. But... Um, the funny thing was, I mean, I know you're running up against the clock here, but like, just yeah. The funny thing with Kawhi is that like, it's sort of there. There has been an element of it's either Kawhi's going or the team's going, part right. and sort of that's sort of dependent on how the defense wants to play it. But like, it, it's rare when the team is going, but Kawhi can also get thirty. Like, if the team is going, Kawhi usually gets like twenty with right. a, with like seven assists. This was a game where he had thirty and also had six assists. So. It was, you know, this is a it was a really good team effort by the Raptors offensively. They were just kind of, um, you know, great throughout. Uh, quickly, you know, before we let you go, what's your prediction going forward the rest of the series? I mean, you still have Warriors in six, I believe, but that's is that with or without KD? No, I'm calling it seven game series. We're going seven. Okay. Um, I think the Warriors will take care of business at home tomorrow. I think the Raptors will win game five. I think KD will be back by game six. Warriors will win the last game in Oracle. And then, you know, I'm going to call it Warriors in seven because I have to. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think we're – if it's less than seven, it's the Raptors winning. I don't see a scenario where the Warriors win three in a row Um, because I don't know when KD will be back, and I do think there's a good chance they'll drop a game with KD because of the integration process. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Um, and, uh, you know, beyond that, if KD doesn't come back, they're definitely going to drop another game. I don't think they can win three in a row. So uh, it's going to have to go seven for the Warriors to get there. Um, Toronto could very easily win in six, though. But I do think the Warriors will take care of business in game four at minimum. Okay. Well, Sam, thank you for coming on the program. Um, you know, listen to the Light Years podcast. Seriously, it was uh... – it's it's one of my favorite programs, even though I don't particularly like the Warriors that much. It's just I like the <laughs> dynamic between you and Andy. Um, I appreciate that. Yeah. So yeah, listen in. We're gonna have our next pod out um, probably Monday or Tuesday, depending what happens. If the Warriors win Game Four, we'll probably wait till after Game Five to record. If the okay. Warriors lose Game Four, we'll do a Suicide Watch podcast. So. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I look listen i jokingly said raps and five coming into the series if you guys lose tomorrow raps and five is actually a possibility so if they lose yeah that's a real possibility yeah. so big game tomorrow yeah. uh thanks for having me So thanks to Sam Isfandiari for joining the program. Uh, you can follow Sam on Twitter at uh, Sam Isfandiari. Um, and, you know, I, I just wanted to add this sort of uh, little postscript to the show because I, I got to say, I mean, I didn't want to necessarily waste Sam's time on it because, uh, you know, he had to run off to a meeting and things like that. But, like, this whole situation with the Warriors owner pushing Kyle Lowry, um, like, there's kind of been two th- schools of thought on it. And to me, it's it's kind of crazy that there there is even any pushback whatsoever, in the sense that there. Are, and what I mean is like I think there's a clear right and wrong here. And uh, and it, in this case, the Warriors owner was clearly wrong, and Kyle was clearly in the right to make this into a big deal. Look, it's not about the fact that he, you know, uh, shoved him on the shoulder. Like that's already bad enough. But it's not about, uh, you know, some fans are like, oh, Kyle's making too big of a deal of it. Like, no, you have to draw a line. And it has to be a very, very firm line. Um, fans can't interact with the player like that. They just can't. You just cannot do that because the stakes are too high. It's a different standard. Um, if, if Kyle, in the heat of the moment there, reacts and shoves him back and stuff, you know Kyle's going to get suspended. There's going to be a whole big thing. You know what I mean? And, and they're just... It doesn't matter. Like, it just – it doesn't matter. There's there's no place for that. I mean, like, uh, to shove Kyle – first of all, out of nowhere, unprompted. It wasn't like, you know, Kyle was – had landed into him and he sort of, like, pushed Kyle off of him to sort of – you know, what, like, none of that happened. He just decides to push Kyle. And then all of a sudden, he also, you know, according to several sources and also, you know, um, Kyle confirming it. Like, it's like, you know, the guy told him to, you know, just, you know, go after yourself, like, multiple times. And it's just like – you know, it's just – there's a clear, there's a clear right and wrong there, and the and the uh, the Warriors co-owner there, he was just he was clearly in the wrong. Um, I commend the fact that like all the players uh, on the Warriors side stuck up for Kyle. Uh, you could definitely see players, you know, at least in a different situation, considering the fact that it is a minority owner. Like, um, chant there, I could have foreseen a situation where the players sort of speak more carefully because ultimately that is someone that determines in part at least how these guys get their paychecks but no they didn't do that you know Draymond you know to a man Steve Kerr um you know Steph Draymond Clay they all you know spoke up for Kyle and you know it's an issue where again like 
players, they must be protected from the fans. And it's not like the fans are going to seriously injure the player. It's not about that. It's sort of just you have to draw that clear division in terms of fans are on this side. This is what their conduct is, and you have to follow that. And, um, you know, LeBron spoke out as well. That's, you know, he didn't have to do that, but he did. And it's great to see. Um, obviously, LeBron has that role in terms of being in the uh, the players' union. Um, and, you know, this is a players' union issue. It really is. Like, we've seen, you know, escalating incidents throughout this season in terms of, you know, it's mostly been players being verbally abused by fans. There have been instances, you know, in, in Utah and in, in OKC where there has been, you know, you know, racist language being used and that's 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 stuff you just can't there's a zero tolerance there's just there has to be zero tolerance and um you know i I commend at least the nba for responding quickly um and you know within you know 24 hours they've already um you know issued a ban for that uh, warriors co-owner for the upcoming season obviously the rest of this uh playoff run um and also find him five hundred thousand. but i mean at the same time like you can't help but think that there is a bit of a double standard there because if it was just like if he wasn't you know an owner of the team like if he was just a random fan that you know happened to have 50 grand to sit courtside for the nba finals and then push kyle that random anonymous fan would 100 percent be um you know banned for life from just coming back from an nba arena or at least more than one year and it, it, the, the fine is whatever like who cares like the guy is apparently worth like two billion dollars like you know half a mil is it's it's like me losing 50 bucks you know like it's not it's not comparable but um but yeah i mean there there has to be there has to be this is just an issue that's that the nba is going to face going forward but um i'm I'm really happy with the way kyle handled it i'm really happy that kyle shown a spotlight on it because again it's not just about kyle in the situation it's about all players um you know and the conduct between players and fans like it just has to there has to be a division. There's, there's, and it's tricky because there is heckling. Like, I don't think Kyle would have made a big deal of it if the fan didn't push him and he just told him to get the f out of here. You know what I mean? Like, that's something where Kyle probably, honestly, he probably hears that from the crowd every single day. And so he's, even though it's wrong, but I mean, it's like it's still something where Kyle's probably not going to react in that same way. But um, there just has to be a division. I'm, I'm proud of the way Kyle handled it. I'm proud of the way the Warriors responded to it. And um, at least in terms of the NBA, I'm, I'm happy they responded quickly. But uh, it, to me, it, it could have been a little bit more, you know, uh, heavy in terms of you know, the severity of the punishment. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's just you know, it's a little bit unfortunate that the uh, an otherwise, um, well, I wouldn't say riveting, but an otherwise pivotal game in the series was sort of marred by that uh, one incident at the end there. But um, you know. It is what it is. Hopefully, you know, nothing of that sort repeats itself throughout this series and going forward. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, I'll be back tomorrow after Game 4 for the Reaction Podcast, uh, as I mentioned with Sam. Listen, if the Raptors win Game 4, that Raps and 5 prediction that I had out there was uh, would, would sound a lot more palatable. Um, but, you know, uh, realistically, if Clay comes back, I would give the Warriors the slight edge on their home floor. But... You can expect a very competitive game. You can expect a very exciting game. And, um, and yeah, the Raptors are two wins away from their first ever NBA title. That is something that I have never thought I would ever say, but it is actually, you know, just two wins. So check back then. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks again to Sam for coming on the program, and I'll catch you tomorrow.